Today's episode of the Knicks Rewind Podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. Basketball season won't be around forever, so get in on all the action now with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. Download the DraftKings app now and use code THPN during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. That's code THPN, and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum of $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Welcome back, everybody, to the Knicks Rewind Podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Pete Pranica. Join the show. He's the voice of the Grizzlies. He commentates their games on their local channel. We play the Grizzlies tomorrow, Monday. I'm recording this Sunday night after the Knicks just smoked the Rockets. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm just doing the intro. So we have a preview episode for tomorrow's game against the Grizzlies, where Pete and Owen and I talk for about 20 minutes. Uh, we start with talking about the Grizzlies, then we'll talk about the Knicks, so hope you enjoy. All right, so welcome, Pete. Happy to have you on our show. Um, so, Knicks play the Grizzlies tomorrow, Monday. I'm very excited for that one, because the last time we had a Knicks versus Memphis, it was one of my favorite games of the season, the overtime thriller and the start of our nine-game winning streak. So, we have a few questions for you about the Knicks versus, uh, versus Grizzlies specifics, and then you'll, you know, we'll give you the breakdown of the Knicks. So, okay. This isn't necessarily a Knicks-specific question, but I'm kind of curious what you're going to say. What's the impact been with uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. back in the lineup? Because I know you guys missed him for a while. Well, the impact with Jaron Jackson Jr., it, it's kind of interesting because it's messed up the rotations a little bit. The Grizzlies did not immediately put him in the starting lineup, which is causing a little bit of controversy here in Memphis because the thought is, well, if Jaron's well enough to play, then maybe he should just go ahead and, and play. Uh, they are keeping him to around 20 to 25 minutes. Uh, they don't want to overtax that knee, will not play him on half of back-to-backs. The issue, however, has been uh, when he goes to the rack, he's been pretty good. He's been fluid. He's been aggressive defensively. He's been rebounding at a better rate than what we saw from him previously. The issue is he is defaulting at some moments to taking three-point shots, which right now he's not converting, and and that has been an issue. And it was an issue a little bit last year. When he's making threes, that's great, but when you're not making threes, maybe you just ought to put it on the floor and, and, and go to the hole. So um, right now where the Grizzlies are, guys, the rotations are a little messed up and you only have eight, nine games left in the season. And if you're going to win your play in tournament and, and get into the playoffs, you know, you'd, you'd like to figure out where this is going to go. And right now the Grizzlies don't seem to have that figured out. Yeah. And then um, next question is just how, um, you know, last time we played um, Randall had a, had a big game. I think he had, he had a triple double, but he didn't score that much. I think he only had 15 points. What specifically did you guys do to slow him down, and what's going to be important in slowing him down again um, in this next matchup? Well, I think the most important thing is that he's got to see a crowd as much as possible. Um, Give him multiple looks. Kyle Anderson is a good defender, not bulky necessarily enough to deal with Julius on on a one-on-one basis. But the Grizzlies typically defensively will try to mix up their looks as much as possible so that – Julius Randle doesn't get into a comfort zone knowing, okay, this guy's guarding me. I know how he's going to guard me, so here's my move or here's my counter move. Grizzlies will try to change it up a little bit, give him 
give him multiple looks and, and hope that he misses shots. I mean, you know, contest his shots to the best of your ability. Try to get the ball out of his hands as well. The other piece, too, is I think the Grizzlies can live with him being a playmaker rather than being a primary scorer. And so anything they can do to get the ball out of his hands probably is, is what they're looking to do. Um, great. So I just, I'm kind of curious about um, Desmond Bain. I, I've, I've been really impressed with Desmond Bain and his shooting. What type of impact – has he had in, in spacing and just some extra scoring as a rookie this year? Because uh, I remember last time we played, he had a nice game for himself, and he's got a nice-looking shot. Yeah, Bain has a very good shot, and I, I, when the Grizzlies made the deal with Boston to get him, I think with the 30th overall pick, it was, well, we're going to get some outside shooting. But what a lot of people don't realize is that even toward the end of his career at TCU, he was a little bit more of a playmaker and a guy who could create off the bounce rather than just being a spot-up three-point shooter. And so what the Grizzlies have really liked about him, it's been the variety of his game. And when you talk to the Grizzlies front office guys, what they want, they want multifaceted basketball players. They don't want to say, okay, Desmond Baines, our three-point shooter. John Morant's our setup guy. Jaron Jackson Jr. is our stretch four, and he only does this. And Valanciunas just gets offensive rebounds. They want to have players that can do multiple things. And Desmond Bain certainly fits that category. Yes, he can shoot the three. He's the leading rookie three-point shooter by percentage in the NBA. But he's also coming off in a, a month in April where he had two and a half assists. Doesn't sound like a lot, but for his position, that is pretty good for coming off the bench the majority of the games in April. So multifaceted player, good defender, very, very high basketball IQ. And the thing that the Grizzly coaching, Grizzlies coaching staff tells me over and over this is a young man that wants to be coached. He did not come into Memphis thinking, hey, I know everything about everything. You can't tell me anything. I know everything. Um, and he, he's been really, really good for this team. That reminds me a lot of our, our rookie we have over here, Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin. Uh, just wants to be coached, comes to practice ready, and will just do what he's asked. So those are the type of rookies that can come in and make an impact immediately, especially when you're trying to you know, win a play-in game or make, win a playoff series. Um, next question is the Knicks have been on fire offensively recently. It's been, it's not something that we're used to as, you know, Knicks fans. Uh, and so defensively, you know, the past month or so, what have you seen from Memphis? I know that you guys just gave up 75 to uh, Orlando, which is, I mean, it's Orlando. So what are you going to say? But it's still like 75 is impressive, but you also had some other games where you gave up more to teams like, uh, Portland and LA. So have you guys have, have you guys had a ton of defensive consistency this year? I don't know that a ton of I don't know that a ton of defensive consistency is is exactly where it's at for the Grizzlies, and, that, and that's been an issue. There are moments where this Grizzlies team is fantastic defensively, and then there are moments where they just they really lose their way. And one of the popular phrases for Taylor Jenkins, the Grizzlies head coach, is game plan discipline. And if you know, the coaching staff feels good about their game plan going in as, as well they should, and their feeling is if, if you execute the game plan the way we tell you to, we think we have, a, we have a chance for a good result. And usually when the Grizzlies do give up a ton of points, it's because they do lose their defensive focus and they don't follow the defensive game plan. And the Grizzlies really have had issues with, with pick and rolls. And one of the things that they do is – they play what is called center field pick-and-roll defense, which is Jonas Valanciunas in the middle plays closer to the restricted area, which does open up the middle of the floor, particularly you know top of the key, free-throw line, dotted line, teams to come in and, and shoot in those areas. So uh, 
pick and roll coverage, and it, and it and it's not limited to Taylor Jenkins. It's been an issue with this Grizzlies franchise for a number of years that, for whatever reason, uh, historic, historically it's not been a good pick and roll defense. But when they do follow the game plan. And when they do give you multiple defensive efforts, there are guys who can be very, very good defenders. Kyle Anderson is a very good defender. Desmond Bain is a good defender. Dylan Brooks is a dogged defender. And you may well see, even though he might be a little under, little undersized, you may see uh, Dylan Brooks against Julius Randle because typically Dylan will take the other team's best scores. So you may, you may see some of that. So the one-on-one challenge – Dylan Brooks and, and company, they, they typically do really well with it. I think where there are issues is when there are defensive miscommunications, particularly in pick and roll. You talked a little bit about um, Taylor Jenkins when talking about defensive game plan. For the casual NBA fan, he's not the most recognizable name. Um, I, I'm not sure a lot of people know a lot about him, but I know he's been a big part of the Grizzlies' success the last two years. Can you talk a little bit about him and, I guess, what he means to the team and, and the job he's done? Sure. You know, it's it's funny because I was doing summer league games for NBA TV a couple of years ago, and just after Taylor Jenkins had been hired, and David Mintzberg, who was with the Grizzlies at one point, so that's how I got to know him. He had gone on and he had worked with Milwaukee, and I just finished a, a summer league game involving the Bucks, and David Mintzberg walks over to me and he says, "I don't know if you know this yet, but you guys made a home run hire with Taylor Jenkins," and. I'm with you when it was announced who the Grizzlies were interviewing. I'm like, okay, Taylor Jenkins. Okay. Assistant with Budenholzer. Okay. Beyond that, I really don't know a whole heck of a lot. He's done a really good job. And the thing of it is he comes from the San Antonio coaching tree. And one of the things about San Antonio, take away Greg Popovich, take away, you know, how they play the game. The one thing that you will find that is so important to the San Antonio organization and San Antonio franchise is that they take the word family very seriously. A lot of coaches talk about family. The Spurs, they really are all about family. And one of the things that Taylor Jenkins did coming into Memphis was I want to make sure that my players understand that I care about them as more than basketball players, that I care about them as human beings. And he got buy-in from everybody. And when you know that your coach is all about you, has your back, is not going to hang you out to dry in the press, um, and cares about you beyond what you can contribute as a basketball player, players typically respond really well to that. And, and players like playing for him. They enjoy playing for him. They've had success playing under him. And you know when you think about the San Antonio coaching tree, I mean, James Borrego now starting to get results in Charlotte, uh, obviously Quinn Snyder in Utah, and I know that I'm, I'm, you know, Monty Williams started out as a coach with with uh, with San Antonio as well. So you see that that San Antonio influence is really spreading around the league. To say nothing, of course, of Mike Budenholzer in Milwaukee. So a lot of guys have come through uh, San Antonio and they have gone on and they've used that family first, care about your players, communicate with your players. They've used that mantra to really leverage themselves into good positions. I have a quick question. Speaking of coaches, what was your initial reaction when Tibbs was hired for the Knicks? My initial reaction was, I think the Knicks are going to get better. Um, you know, the question is, how are the players going to respond to him? Because I think one of the issues with Tibbs is that there's been almost an expiration date on him because he has been so intense with long practices and long shoot arounds. How are players going to respond to that? And and ultimately, I think particularly. In Minnesota, players just started to tune him out. 
and and that's why it wasn't working in Minnesota. So the question is, we know that Thibs isn't going to change. He's going to be a hard charger. He's a basketball lifer. He lives for this stuff. He lives to watch video. The question is, how are the players going to respond? And I was talking with Mike Breen a few weeks ago before the first meeting between these two teams, and he said one of the things that Tom Thibodeau did is that he really instilled a sense of professionalism with this basketball team that did not exist before. And as long as people like Julius Randle are going to buy into that and Emmanuel quickly buy into that, Obi Toppin buy into that. And oh, by the way, he's, he's got Derek Rose back on the team to do kind of provide a little bit of backup coming in off the bench. If the players respond appropriately to Thibs, they're going to be successful. I think where Thibs has gotten himself into trouble or where things have gotten sideways is maybe when players start to tune him out because maybe he's, he's too intense, at least to their way of thinking. So as long as the lines of communication remain open and everybody's good with uh, each other's approach to the game, I think the Knicks are going to be fine. Um, all right, we've got a couple more for you, uh, mm-hmm. and then we'll uh, do a little flip-flop. flip-flop yeah. Can you talk um, a little bit about Justice Winslow? Yeah, Justice Winslow was picked up by the Grizzlies. They were looking at him as being one of these multifaceted, multi-level players that could rebound, defend, distribute, and score. He was plagued by injury. Um, Grizzlies made the trade. He was about to make his debut for the Grizzlies in March of 2020 when we flew to Portland. And then that night, Rudy Gobert tests positive for COVID and the season comes to a screeching halt. Then the Grizzlies go down to Orlando for the bubble and he injures his hip in a non-contact situation, um, just lands awkwardly. And so he was out for a long, long time, and it took him quite a while to, to get that rehab properly so that he could play. The Grizzlies, and, and, and this is the state of the Grizzlies right now, there's, there's a little bit of um, controversy or upset because of, as I talked about with Jaron Jackson Jr., the rotations. Tyus Jones is, is a traditional point guard. He's leading the league in assist-to-turnover ratio for a third consecutive season. And then he started not playing at all because Justice Winslow was was handling the basketball with the second unit. Uh, and the numbers really haven't supported uh, him doing that, given, you know, you look at the net rating, defensive rating, offensive rating when he's on the floor, and it's, it's not particularly good. He's really struggled with his shot. So it remains to be seen how patient the Grizzlies are going to be because you are really running out of games and you need to win games. Uh, and obviously they, they coughed up a very winnable game Saturday night in Orlando. So, you know, Justice Winslow at his very best can really help this basketball team. But, but the problem is he has not played at his best to this point for the Grizzlies. And, and that's causing a lot of consternation among the fan base. Yeah, I just want to mention that uh, you mentioned Tyus Jones, Tyus Jones's name. When, uh, when Jaw was out, I thought Tyus did a great job filling in and not just having everything fall apart. I thought what he did um, in terms of, like you said, just being the traditional point guard, not making a lot of mistakes. I think that's he's been really impressive this year for me. One more thing I want to talk about is it's Knicks-related. R.J. Barrett, for a quick minute, because everything that I see and everyone I talk to is mainly in my Knicks circle. And obviously, we all love R.J. Barrett. Um, he's our rising 20-year-old star, superstar in some of our eyes. What have you seen just uh, about RJ, from R.J. Barrett um, this season? Well, I think RJ is one of the prime beneficiaries of having Tom Thibodeau as a coach. He's he's taken a really, really big leap forward this year. And maybe the expectations last year for RJ were were a little too high uh, as far as what he what he was going to be able to do. Um, 
but I think now you, you've got a situation where, where Tom Thibodeau has got these guys understanding what it means to really and truly be a professional basketball player. And think about that phrase for a moment. Professional, in this sense, doesn't, mean, doesn't just mean you get paid to play. It means that you have to take care of your body. You have to uh, you know, watch your video and read your scouting reports and pay attention to things. And you've got to put in the player development work. And, and I think R.J. Barrett has done that. And, and you've seen the fruits of his labor with that. And again, it, it goes back to, I think it, it really all goes back to, to Tom Thibodeau and, and his decisions that he has made with his basketball team to hold guys accountable because sometimes there are coaches, and I'm not pointing fingers at any particular Nick coach or any coach in the NBA for that matter, but there are coaches in this league that, if they don't hold their players accountable, uh, things things are going to go south very, very quickly. You need to hold your players accountable, and that's your best player. In fact, I think you need to hold your best players even more accountable than, than some of your fringe guys, and I think Tom Thibodeau has done that. And again, R.J. Barrett has been the beneficiary of that approach. Yeah, I'm not sure if you read uh, Julius Randle's piece in the Players' Tribune, but he's, he mentioned, he, he said it many times, he wanted a coach that was going to hold him accountable, and I think that's a big reason for his success. Just give me give me the state of the Knicks because they started this great run really with that win over the Grizzlies that I know a lot of people in Memphis said, hey, if you make your free throws, we don't have to worry about this, but uh, the Knicks got the win that night. Yeah, well, this, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, things are great. Um, as good as they've been at Madison Square Garden in probably eight or nine years, I'd say, since 2012-13, we were the second seed. And I don't know, the team is just playing really well. Um, they're scoring like they haven't in a really long time. I think over the past 15 games, we're second or third in the NBA in offensive rating, um, which is incredibly surprising. And, you know, we're, we have a lot of really good shooting. Um, Randall is obviously quietly turning himself into an MVP candidate um, and a guy who should be an all-NBA player. And other than that, um, the team is just playing really well overall, um, really playing cohesive basketball. They play a very good team defense. They don't have a lot of outstanding individual defenders. You can point to a guy like Nerlens Noel. Um, but other than that, they just play really well as a team. And everything is just feel like it's coming together at the right time just before the playoffs. And this is the best I've really ever seen this team play, ever. That's Owen Smith. Johnny, I'm going to ask you, is it is it all on Tom Thibodeau this this improvement this year? I mean, obviously Julius Randle's having a career year, but do you lay most of the success for the New York Knicks season at the at the feet of Tom Thibodeau? I would definitely give most of it to Tibbs, but I don't think it's all because you got to give the players some of the credit. You know, they they worked hard in the offseason, and Julius Randle talked about how he was fuming from the ears when he was watching pe- the teams in Orlando when he was just sitting at home, and you know he really worked on his game and. I thought, you know, Leon Rose bringing in these role guys like uh, Nerlens Noel has been outstanding in Mitchell Robinson's absence and uh, Alec Burks and just these guys who can score and provide uh, and just and work well under this Tibbs system and obviously bringing in Derrick Rose for a second round pick and Dennis Smith Jr. Derrick Rose has just been outstanding off the bench. So I think a lot of it is roster construction uh, with, you know, Rose. I think a lot of it is um, the guys working in the offseason and our young guys getting a, a year older. And but I th- yes, I think most of it is, it really is Tibbs. So Owen and Johnny, you guys are obviously big Knicks fans. How satisfying has it been for this year? Because it has been such a dry spell for the Knicks for so long. I mean, I, what's it like in the city when, when the Knicks are now relevant again? It's honestly yeah, it's it's really fun. I mean, we we went to the uh, we played Phoenix on Monday, and Johnny and I went to the game and. 
even with, I think we're 10% capacity right now, it feels like the stadium is full. Like you can just feel the excitement about the team, which is really rare. I mean, people have always gotten excited about the Knicks. Like we got little glimpses of excitement when Porzingis was playing well and the team would kind of like flirt around the playoffs for a little bit and then just fall off toward the end of the year. And that really hasn't been the case. And, and honestly, you can feel the excitement about it in the city. Like we're always on the front page of the paper. Um, everyone's always talking about us on Twitter. ESPN's always talking about us. Um, not always positive, but that that's a good thing for us. Uh, it means we're playing well. It's funny, so. too, because Owen and I both live in Brooklyn, but you don't hear a word about the Nets. It's really weird because, you know, yeah. you would think bringing in three superstar players that would be all the talk, but that's the talk of everyone outside of New York City. So, it's been it's it's been pretty great to watch a bit of a revitalized city. It feels because everyone cares about the Knicks basketball here. I mean, it's the biggest biggest thing here. Yeah, that, that, that is amazing. You guys live in Brooklyn, and yet nobody's talking about the Brooklyn Nets in Brooklyn. But it's the conversation is all about the New York Knicks. Another guy who played really well when when the Grizzlies and the Knicks met was Emmanuel Quickly, and. You know, I had not had a lot of exposure to him before that game, but certainly we got an eyeful looking at him. Give us a sense of what his rookie season has been like, and it has it exceeded your expectations? I'll, t- I'll take this one on if, if that's cool. Definitely exceeded expectations because, you know, being uh, a late first-round draft pick, you don't really expect a whole lot of contributions, but he's been phenomenal off the bench. Obviously, being only 21, up and down, he uh, up and down, like in terms of shooting percentages and games, like he'll go one for 11, but then he'll just provide then. But the day after he'll provide it a spark with Derrick Rose and hit three straight threes. He's like now he's now shooting where Dame and Steph shoot. So it's it's funny to watch his growth over this year. There's definitely some things he needs to get bigger. Uh, he's somewhat of a def- he works hard on defense, but just size limitates him some uh, sometimes. But yeah, he's been so fun to watch. Uh, so I've been really happy. Oh, and you have anything else you wanted to add on? He's he's a special shooter. Like that's the best thing I'd say about him is he he can shoot from anywhere. I mean, he, he can stretch the defense out so far, and he makes such a positive impact on us with us on the floor because of his shooting, and just gives us so much space. and And he's honestly just so energetic the way he plays, and just always feels like he's positively impacting the game. And, and I completely surprised he's the perfect spark plug you know him and Derek Rose when they come off the bench they uh they really go on runs and it's a game-changing duo backcourt we're visiting with Johnny Kervin and Owen Smith of the Knicks Rewind podcast on the Basketball Podcast Network this is the Grizz Weekly Grind what about Derek Rose and what has he meant to this team because sometimes you get veterans they get long in the tooth and they just want to be the guy and they don't really accept their their bench rule but uh, Derek Rose certainly has and certainly has a level of comfort with Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, I, I think Rose played with the Knicks for a year and uh, I think 2016 to 2017 and the season was a disaster. Um, I think we went like 31 and 51 and Rose was probably a big part that negatively impacted the team and he came back and had the opportunity to come back to the team and play for Tibbs again and really seemed like he took uh, a completely different approach coming back and it's really showed on the court. Um, he's one of our most positive players on offense and defense. He works really hard. He gets everyone involved. And I think our record when he plays is we're like 18 and seven or like 19 and seven. And I don't know, that just speaks to how well he's um, or how, how well he's um, been able to be included into this group and how well he's fit into this group. And he's just nothing but positive things to say about him. 
he's been awesome. And also off the court, I think he's had a huge impact. You know, I'm not with the team, obviously. I'm just um, – but I've heard that he's always mentoring quickly, as we were just talking about. He's great on the court and off the court with Obi Toppin, who's had a mostly down few ups rookie season. Um, but, yeah, he, he's been just – he's been a great pickup. Last question for you guys. Obviously, a tremendous amount of excitement about, about the Knicks in New York – even in Brooklyn, um, and around the country. So right now, I think they would have home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. So this has been a renaissance season for the Knicks. People are excited in a very positive way about the Knicks. How far do they need to go for Knicks fans to say, ah, this, this is really fantastic? Do they have to win a first-round series? Do they have to win two series? How far do they have to go for fans to go like, wow, the, the Knicks are really and truly back? I I think I don't think we have to win a series. I don't think we will win a series just like being unbiased and step, taking myself out of the Knicks picture. I don't yeah. see us beating a lot of these other teams just because of, you know, like I don't see us beating Boston or even maybe Atlanta. But uh I think as long as we compete, we've we do what we did all year, make it tough on teams and just play like that gritty 90s Knicks basketball that we've seen all year. Like I think even if you lose in six, you know, you're like, we had such a great year. It was so fun. Every game felt like it counted. And we haven't had that feeling in, in so long. So, you know, like, in forever, it seems. Yeah, it, yeah. So even though, even if we don't go deep in the playoffs, even though I would love, like, love to win a first round series, it's not my expectations. Um, I don't think it's something that the city needs to be like, all right, now the Knicks, we're back. I already, I think we already feel like we are back. Yeah. No, I think uh, to piggyback off what Johnny said, I think if we get swept in the first round, obviously we'd be disappointed. But I think a couple weeks later, I think we'd look back on the season as a major success. And I think if we get first round um, home court advantage, I think we should win that series. I think we should beat Atlanta. We're 3-0 and against them this season. And I think Boston is not the team that they have been the last couple of years. So, I mean, games like Memphis, is that's a huge one for us because we have a brutal West stretch coming up. And I think I really think if we have home court advantage, we have a really good shot to to make it to the second round. And it's a big game for the Grizzlies, particularly having given up that one Saturday night in Orlando. Guys, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. And uh, good luck to the show and good luck to the Knicks, with the exception of uh, Monday night when they take on the Grizzlies. <laughs> thank you, Pete. We appreciate it. Yeah, bye.